Hello, my friends, and welcome to Band Hacks, a podcast designed to discuss the many ins and outs of band directing in the great state of Texas. I am Doug Fullwood, and with me is Jason Webb, and we are coming to you from the Royce City ISD Performing Arts Center in Royce City, Texas, just east of Dallas. Sit back, relax, and enjoy as we get into all things band. All right, welcome back, everybody. Happy Thursday, and uh, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Band Hacks. Jason's here with me, and uh, he's super excited because we are about to kick off the musical tonight, right? Yeah, having an awesome week. Yeah, got, got a lot of band kids involved in it, too. We have some behind the scenes. We have some in the pit, some on the stage and in lead roles, and uh, even some, some up in the booth Yeah, working well. sound. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's, that's awesome. Cool. So, like, my favorite favorite part of that, of course, the musical portion of it, I haven't really seen other than watching our kids do it, but I saw the old movie, right, oh, yeah. that had Rick Moranis. Mm-hmm. And so the plant, like, the, the man-eating, blood-sucking plant is probably my favorite part of the whole thing. What? No, it is. I mean, it's I, Audrey too. She's I thought awesome. I was your favorite part. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're getting ready to start the musical tonight, and so there's a lot of, of things going on um, on campus, and of course, we had a big time cold front blow in. So, you know, we're I'm sure going to be allergy ish and sneezing and all that stuff. And oh, yes. Jason might cough and hack himself to death, but. Got my trusty water with me. You do have your water. Yes. That's good. That's Stifling good. it. So today, friends, we're going to talk about sight reading and kind of that process. And, you know, not necessarily all in terms of the way the UIL process is. We're going to talk about that. But we're also going to kind of talk about how to maybe best prepare your kids for sight reading at the UIL process. But then just sight reading in general, if that makes sense. So, um, Jason, I assume you are a tremendous sight reader being a trumpet player. Oh, yes. Fantastic. Like the best in the world. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure everyone probably didn't need us to talk about that because they probably are already aware because you're so notable. It's just credentials. Of course, right. So, well, let me ask you this, um, and, and you've, you've been a director at, at several levels. Why, why is sight reading scary to us? You know, I mean, for me, it's, well, I, I guess for everybody, it's just the process of doing it in front of judges is it's just different than everything else we do it's not a a normal performance it's it's a little bit awkward to have three people judge you on the way you teach yes uh, and watch you teach um that you know you you may not know any of the judges you know right and And sometimes it's it's even more awkward when you do know the judges right right right. you know because because then there's almost that like okay like i really respect this guy and come on, kids, you got to do this well because I don't want to look like an idiot, right? Right. You know, that's another portion of it. Why is it so scary? I don't know. You know, I, I've had bands before. I didn't know how the kids were going to act. You know, oh, I didn't know yes. if they were going to take it seriously or if, like, you know, they were done. And Yeah, because it's hard, it's hard to reproduce that environment. I mean, even if you bring, you know, a judge or a couple judges into your own band hall to try to do a pre you know, uh, run of this procedure, there, there's not really anything that duplicates the pressure and the environment of the actual contest, right? right. So, you know, I, I know for me, one of the challenges was um, we're, we're putting our, our livelihood and our careers in the hands of a bunch of teenagers, right? Oh, yes. And, and we've talked before about how, um, you know, one of the things about being a band director is we get to stand up in front of a bunch of wonderful kids and tell them things that they already know because we've taught them and, and we've reminded them. Right. And, yes. and we will have kids listening to this episode too, for some reason. Uh, but anyway, you know, that's one of the, the things about it. So you start questioning yourself and going, okay, what is going to happen in this situation? So it becomes very, very scary. So I think what we normally do um, as directors is we try to find out as much information as possible in advance of the process. Right. Right. And so, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, uh, provided we're staying within the framework of the rules that we're supposed to operate in. Um, but, but also, you know, I think it's important to understand that while it's good to have that information, I don't think we need to base our whole teaching experience off of what this year's or next year's sight reader 
is going to look like, right? Correct. Yes. We want our kids to be able to read well, regardless if we have to get in front of judges. Right. Because, because maybe they do have to go sight read somewhere. Maybe they're playing a, in a pit orchestra. Maybe they have a paid gig or something where they are going to be expected to read and there's not going to be a five minute general explanation period and then a three minute summary. Right. So, so I, I think that's probably the thing we need to hang our hats on the most as we approach sight reading in general, but also UIL sight reading is this is not instruction to succeed at a contest that is a byproduct but we're really trying to just develop our kids into great music readers right so let's start with um just the the uil and rules in general and where to find it so it always amazes me the number of directors that um, the way they approach sight reading maybe is the way that they've seen someone else approach sight reading Maybe they haven't gone in and read every single rule and understand how this works. And we know that that's the case because many times in the sight reading room, different things happen that aren't exactly in line with the guidelines and approaches as, as it's supposed to you know, be. But in that same vein, the music isn't always necessarily written to the guidelines that it's supposed to be, right? Yes, there's, yes there's, I've seen that before. That's right. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like the pirate code, right? It's it's more like guidelines than rules, and and not that those composers are trying to you know trick us necessarily or throw weird things in there. It's just like, hey, that's what made sense, and sometimes that's what makes it through to us, you know? Yeah. One of the things I will say, all the guys I've ever judged with, when there was something pretty ridiculous in the sight reader they were always pretty understanding of that, you know, and, and they get it. And, and so it wasn't like, you know, well, if you don't get that particular note, I'm going to sink you, you know, most guys are not like that. So I think it's important to understand that, but I think it's also important, especially for the younger directors to understand where do you get this information? It can be easily found at the UIL website. Just go to UIL music and they've got all the different contest rules and procedures listed there. So we're going to talk a little bit right now, just about some of the things that um, the composers are supposed to do. So I'm just going to share a few things if you'll indulge me. Sure. So some of the things they're supposed to do. Uh, one thing is include measure numbers and appropriately placed rehearsal numbers should be present throughout the score. We should be able to go, hey, start at measure this, start at measure that, right? Avoid specific metronome markings. Instead, use tempo indications such as Andante, Allegro, etc., which is, is good because then we get to interpret that. But we have to be really careful because sometimes that's the very first thing that we see and we ignore it and we move on to the nuts and bolts of the piece. And then we forget how fast or slow we really want to start this, the, the piece. Um, also, do not indicate cues in either score parts. They tend to create confusion in the sight reading room. Either double the parts or omit the cues entirely. Strive to keep notation as large as possible and the score page as uncluttered as possible. Very small notation as well as excessive lines and measures on a page are difficult to read and tend to cause both confusion and frustration for the directors. Be very specific and clear about percussion instrumentation. For example, directors should not find themselves looking at the score during the explanation period and wondering if the part is for crash cymbals or suspended cymbal, right? Nice. That, yeah, that's, that's important. We're hitting a trumpet with a stick. We don't want to, if, if that's what we're supposed to do, we need to make sure we do that, right? Try to avoid any device that might be viewed as a trick. So that's right, friends. It says that in the guidelines. Try to avoid any device that might be viewed as a trick. Technically, rhythmically, and harmonically, the music should be straightforward and logical. And it's at this point where some of you are laughing your rears off because you know we've had pieces of music that don't fit into any of those categories. And so... Again, while these are the guidelines, uh, they're, they're very much guidelines, not necessarily rules. And sometimes there are exceptions that have to be made in terms of the whole entire piece. And this is what was submitted. And then we got to do our best to deal with what we've got. Right. Um, and then a couple more. Be very careful about the use of DVC playing multiple, excuse me, placing multiple parts on the staff with accidentals, polyrhythms and note stems going in opposite directions can be confusing. Time your composition at performance tempo to make sure it meets the time limit requirement. So, like, those are the guidelines that are present. And it also says some other things up at the top about uh, level one to three. And so, but, but in addition to all of those little bullet statements, if you go to the website, you can see all the ranges, all of the possible time signatures and key signatures per level that you might have to encounter. Now, that's valuable information because in terms of, hey, give me a list 
of what my kids need to know, that's a really good place to start, right? Yes. And so, um, one there's of the also main, percussion instrumentation for yes, each level on there as well. That's yeah. right, and that, and all of that stuff is available um, before you know you get into the room, and then especially uh, once the sight readers have been picked, then you'll actually be able to see what percussion parts are going to be in use. Um, so you know that's I think I think it's really important, but. I can't tell you the number of, of younger directors that I've talked to that didn't have any idea that this information actually existed and they were kind of flying blind, if that makes sense. So we need to know, um, you know, what the information is and, and then also how to find it and then how to actually build lesson plans and things of that nature in order to not necessarily read the sight reader well, but to know what our kids need to be really confident with before we hit the, the room, if that makes sense. Sure. Okay, so preparing your band for sight reading. So we've looked at the requirements. We understand what we're supposed to do. The next question is, what is our process for preparing our group for this event? And I think the answer lies in, what is your process for teaching your students how to read music? Now, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we teach them from sixth grade up how to count and, mm -hmm. you know, finger along and air along and and, um, and and do all of that stuff. And then we expect them to be able to play some of this stuff the first time when right. it's a beginner line. So right. we we typically start um, easier than the, you know, a full piece. Obviously, yeah. we may do yeah. a couple of lines here or there, even with the high school kids so that right. we get that process down and we remind them of hey, this is how we're going to do this. This is the way we're going to look when we do this. And it, and it creates a focus with those kids because we know that we're going to be reading something we've never played before. Right. And the other thing, too, is, you know, the shorter the excerpt can start out, the greater the attention span, right? Right. Because, again, we're trying to build skills here. This is not a situation where we want to prepare them the week before and go, okay, kids, here's all the things that we've got to be able to do and then expect them to do it because that's not reasonable. Right. So, you know, um, some of the things that I think, you know, we kind of miss out on from time to time are we spend a lot of time working on our stage pieces, right? Yes. And, and not that we don't need to spend time on our stage pieces. That's important. But there are two parts of this contest that we're trying to be successful with. The nice part about this, and again, I'm sorry if you can hear me breathing through the microphone, got major allergies going on today. The nice part of this is we can take some of the same conceptual ideas that we use in the uh, preparation of our, our contest music and apply it to sight reading. Things like, okay, kids, how will we attack this note in this style? And we've talked about that before, right? Right. Um, how are we going to phrase this? Do they know how to stagger? Do they know how to do four-bar phrases? Are they able to sneak back in if they need to and they need to sneak a breath? We're not breathing on bar lines, those types of things. Most of that we incorporate into our stage music. But, I, I you know, there, there's been several times where I hear a band complete phrases in their, their concert music. They come to sight reading and they don't. They're breathing every two bars or every four counts in the flute section, especially the younger groups. So I think even from the younger um, grade levels, it's really critical to teach them those basic fundamental things so that it can be applied when the pressure's on. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's something to be said for going through the whole process as well. You know, I, if our kids are, are confident readers mm -hmm. and, and you feel like they could read all the rhythms and notes, but the right. first time you go through your process where it's going to be, you know, the general explanation period has ended. The summary explanation right. can start. Um, if you wait until the very end to do that, it's going to create some nerves that wouldn't normally be there. And so it's going to be stressful on you too, because oh you're yeah. going to know you haven't gone over it and the expectations aren't there. And we'll, we'll get to the instruction period in a second, but what are the you know, other things we need to be concerned about? So we talked about attacks, phrasing, sound quality, right? Mm -hmm. What does the band sound like? And do they have a basic grasp of balance and blend? They understand you know, this is the melodic line. This is, you know, the harmonic structure. This is the bass part. Do they know how to do that within their music that they read every day? Do they know how to do that? And then that way, when you get to a sight reading thing, you can simply say, hey, right here, this is where the melody is. They can nod, nod their heads and understand 
what's going on. You know, I, I've also seen a lot of directors are like, okay, you guys have the melody here. And then while they're going through the process, the students are looking at the ceiling tiles. And those yeah. are the same students that are like, have the, the melodic line and they're missing that. So, you know, I think making sure that they're, and, and again, that varies by um, grade level, but don't assume that your students can't start to identify those things at a very young age. Uh, and because it actually makes your job easier uh, when you're done with it. Another thing that um, we need to prepare our kids to do is be able to play different intervals, not only, um, you know, with a normal articulation, but maybe in a slur pattern as well. Mm -hmm. Not just, hey, we're, we're going to have stepwise motion or we're going to have a third here or there. But like, oh my gosh, I may have an octave jump or I may have jump into a fifth. And as you guys know, brass players, especially some of those younger kiddos trying to go from, you know, let's say a C, low C in the staff up to an A and they just don't zing the air fast enough and we hit an E instead. Now all of a sudden, right buttons, wrong note, right? right. So I think that the best way to do that is to do that stuff during your you know daily drill, rehearsal time where you teach them how to approach those things and what syllables they're supposed to use when they're slurring or they're tonguing, going from one place to another, high to low, low to high, because it's different, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and the same is true when you start getting into register studies and things on the woodwind instruments, um, you know, airstream and different mechanisms and those things. The kids need to know how to manipulate those, you know, in, in the framework. Um, time signatures, okay. So you had a funny story about time signatures, right? Oh yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we, I, and I've told, I've told my kids this for for years now. Um, I don't allow questions from the kids in the sight reading room. You're mean. I'm sorry. I just, um, I had heard even a though story. even though that's not that's not actually what the rules say. You can allow yes, students you can to allow ask students questions, to ask right. questions. But I had heard, and I don't know who it was about, but I had heard that there was um, a a band director that was going through the the explanation period, and he got to the very end of it, and he said, "Does anybody have any questions?" And a kid raised his hand, he called on him, and he said, um, is this piece in cut time or common time? And then the, the oh timer says, time. And uh, and so he didn't get to answer the question. So, uh, you know, whether that's high school students or middle school students, you know that about half that band went, oh, my what? goodness, is that cut time? Yes. And yes. then they, they cratered. I'm sure they did. Man, yeah, that that would be that'd be terrible, and that's one of the reasons why I don't mind if my students ask me questions. Sure, because they got to raise their hands. You know? But there is such a thing as a stupid question now. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and and then again, maybe that's an uninformed question, whereas the student probably saw a C, and right, and misconstrued what and it meant. Yes, and that encompasses all the stuff that you're talking about being issues in the sight reading room. If you know, we're all we're all smart individuals. We have jobs because we have music degrees, right? And um, and some of the the vocabulary that we use when we're sight reading something or seeing something for the first time, yep. you have to make sure that all of your students know the vocabulary you're using. Yes. So if um, you know, if you don't run it with your kids, if you don't go through the process and you start talking about uh, the tuning mechanism and the yeah. all the melody and the counter melody, right? And yeah, bass, all that stuff, and they don't know what you're talking about, it's going to be evident when they play it. That's exactly right. Yeah, and especially because what what happens is too, you get in front of your kids, especially your younger ones, and you start using big musical terminology, um, like the 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 people that are watching the kids can tell that they have no idea what you're talking about, you know, <laughs> right. like, and, and so at that point, you're just kind of using that terminology for the benefit of the, the three people behind you that already know the terminology and yes. they don't need that, you know? So, so that's another thing too. You're exactly right. What do those terms mean? And, the, uh, you know, you can very easily prepare your kids for what those are going to be. And the other thing too, that you can do is whatever music you've played, you know, historically speaking, you know, it may be that a tempo and a sight reader is going to be very similar to something you just played on stage. So you can make that connection very, very quickly, um, and, you know, and do that in class. You can start doing that in class. Like, OK, this sight reading excerpt, we're going to play it at the tempo of Pinnacle, for example, mm -hmm. you know. And OK, great. Cool. So we did that. But you do that systematically until you get to the sight reading room. And then when you do that, the kids are used to it and they yes. just go. Yep. OK, cool. Um, okay, so something else that you can do, um, you know, in terms of subdivision, this is what gets a lot of bands, okay, is when we start getting the younger groups doing dot a quarter eighth notes, right? 
And, and one of the hard parts is I, I personally believe the way we, we do dotted rhythms or historically have done dotted rhythms is not in the best interest of, of our kids and the way their brains work. And the way I say that, or the reason I say that is because what is the first dotted figure we typically teach? Dotted half note. Dotted half note, right? right? And so the kids get really good at going, that's three beats. And so what's the dot do? Well, it adds one beat. Well, it really adds half the value of the, the original note body, right? And that's what we tell them. But what do they typically do? They typically see a dot and go, it adds one, right? right? So we get to a dotted quarter note, and they don't necessarily grasp the one and a half concept. Or if they do they're not able to accurately count it because there's a lack of subdivision. So needing your students to be able to, whether you use ands or tays, whatever system you want to use, because we're not going to get into that argument on this, on, on any episode, but they need to understand at the most basic fundamental level, the different parts of the beat, you know, the downbeat, the upbeat. And, you know, for us, like we, we use a pulsing system. I know some people don't like that. That's fine. Use whatever system you want to do. But the thing about it is if we do, um, three pulses, that is the distance of a dotted quarter note, right? And then the fourth pulse would be the written eighth note. So yes. they can go D ah, and, and they understand. And then we teach them to turn it on and turn it off. We do that in class so that they can have that in their head running. So we do make them do that um, and, and make them push air through the horn and play like that. So they do pulse with their playing, but we teach them to turn it on and turn it off. So um, so I think that's really important too, is, you know, you may not get, um, a, a rhythm, a rhythmical structure where there's always attacks on downbeats, you know, and, and you may get something that's not normal and your kids have to be able to navigate that. Right. Where do you learn how to navigate it? It's, it's not in the sight reading room. You don't learn that there. And even if you go, Oh, well, I'll just, I'll just count that for them and they'll get it. You are rolling the dice, not yes. to mention you want your kids to be able to read. And if they can't subdivide, then reading is going to be even more challenging because it's going to be a guessing game, right? Um, okay, something that uh, is really critical in all of your your daily drill and your playing is, I think, intonation and at the very least matching pitch is really important. So when you start doing sight reading, I think it's okay to start with some unison lines across the band, sure, and then you know split up into some more complex things. Um, the, the biggest issue that we run into, and we're going to get into the actual read here in a little bit, the biggest issue we run into is kids come in and they're not really confident. They're scared. They don't push the correct amount of air on the horn. It's not a comfortable environment for them. And so they don't do the things that they do when they're relaxed. Right. And, and that can really cause, um, some issues, especially with our younger kiddos, you know, you know, something that I do, uh, with the kids to, to keep it. Uh, to keep them confident or to build confidence in it is, you know, we, we have to read a, um, a level five, right. Yep. As a, yep. as a five, a, um, I don't want to start on a level five and have to worry about them doing the notes and the rhythms and all of the dynamics and doing all of this stuff. Right. We may even start at a level one and I'll, yeah. and we'll talk about, you know, we're going to play with a great sound here. You know, you've got the melody, all of this, and we're going to bring all of this stuff out. And, um, and let them build up some confidence. Now that that could look like actually UIL or actual um, UIL sight readers. You could, or you can read lines out of the book. And you start easy, but if the kids can see that you're progressing in difficulty mm -hmm. and they're being successful on the way up, then it's it's gonna it's gonna create a um, a good atmosphere for you on 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 the sight reader. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. And, you know, the other thing, too, is I always used to level my top band kids, giving them some, something super cheesy, and they just barf all over it because, <laughs> you know, they're not waiting the correct note lengths because they're in a hurry to do something harder, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was always a good gut check. It was like, okay, no, we can't do that. We still have to be musicians. We still have to subdivide. I'm sorry, you know, uh, trombones, that you have a whole note, but you can't just move on because you have a whole note, you know? Right. Um, so I think that's important. And you mentioned using, um, other UIL site readers. Okay. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to do. I think it's important to, you know, give them kind of a, a, a feel for what this looks like and what it feels like. But where I, I really found value in this was after this process had been going for a while, right? We've had several of the same people write site readers. So what you can do is you can, you know, of course, purchase those pieces, 
read them with your band and then let your bands like one of the things I used to do is I'd say, okay, here's these four pieces by X composer and we're going to pass them all out and we're going to play them in a class period. And then the next day, what we would do is we'd come in, look at the same pieces and go, okay, in each one of your sections, I need you to identify the similarities that this composer does. What can you find? Nice. And it was cool because the kids, and then we get into that analysis level of, you know, the whole, what we're trying to accomplish. Um, the kids get to like, it's almost like they're, they're looking for something that's okay. The, Hey, look, they do the same thing here. So, you know, we always know who the composer is for the next. Before. Yeah. And so, so it gives them a little bit of a confidence boost and knowing, Hey, I might see this and here's what it's going to look like, you know? Yeah. And, and that was, that was something that, that, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not sure how much they did, but, but it definitely helped us be successful, you know, and also gave us something to speak to during the instruction period where it's like, Hey, remember we've looked at a piece by this guy before you see this right here. That's exactly the same. And again, tying that to previous knowledge, which I think is really important. Um, you know, so, so do that and you can read those things, create your own sight readers. There's a bunch of guys that have books out there. Um, you know, those types of things. Uh, one, one of the things that, that I always used to like to do was if I, if I see something in the instruction period, which we're going to talk about in just a second that I thought was going to be crunchy or sound terrible, or maybe it's something that we've heard through the grapevine that, Oh my gosh, this piece is the biggest dumpster fire ever. (laughs) So, you know, you teach your kids, look, Whatever it says, that's what you do. You know, that's what you play. It, it's okay if it sounds terrible. You didn't write it. I didn't write it. We're just trying to play it, right? So, um, so yeah, I, I think as you prepare your band, I, I think it's more of a holistic approach to reading music, not preparing the band to compete at a UIL sight reading contest. Like yes. for me, I always wanted my kids to be able to read far above whatever level of anything they threw at us. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I wrote a piece a few years ago and it was like, it was called piece of garbage or something like that. Oh my gosh. We I had, do remember that. I, yes. I just, I just remembered it when you were talking about that. But, um, you know, we had heard that there was, you know, syncopation or there were weird entrances. Yeah. So I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> write a piece that had like, Really difficult syncopation. I remember and it had this because really you, weird entrances all and over. And your the place. goal, your goal was to do something that nobody in their right mind would have done. Yes. And it's like, hey, how can I really mess this up? And it was horrible. It was terrible. Yes. It was horrible. But but the kids got the point, which yeah. I think is what. And they got they got the experience, or, or they got the experience of playing a piece of music with the composer. <laughs> and it was <laughs> yes i'm sure so they I'm took sure. a lot of pride did they give you a plaque for that no, like a signed plaque. plaque or anything for that amazing no, contribution no, no to the world of music education <laughs> wow okay all right so you know as, as you're looking at uh preparing your band you, you're 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 thinking about again attacks phrasing sound quality intonation matching right um, and then, you know, in the, at the higher levels, we really get into uh, direction of line, musicality, and those types of things. And you build those things not three weeks before contest. You build them over the course of a long period of time and getting your students comfortable with doing that. You want them to be comfortable so that when they get into an uncomfortable situation, they can be successful, right? Right. Now, so the instruction period. Okay, what's your what's your um, – approach to your general explanation uh i guess i'm 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 wanting to get through the piece okay i'm wanting to get through the piece with the kids at least once or twice depending on the length of the piece right now, i've never had to read the grade the the level five until yeah. this year get ready um oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i get to do it for one year and then I yeah get and to, then you get to go to, get the, to, go the to level, level six yeah good um, for you. but but in the in the shorter pieces in the the uh, lower levels um, I'm wanting to get through that piece a couple of times so that I know that all of the kids have fingered through. They've heard all of these rhythms. They've seen all of the the dynamics and all of the melody stuff that I want to point out to them. And there's not a spot that they're looking at that's like, oh, my goodness, we haven't gone over this. I wonder how that goes. Right. And you don't let your kids ask questions, so they're just going to sit right. there and wonder. Well, and I, and I tell my kids, I said, <laughs> look, you're not going to ask any questions, so... If we get to the end of this and I forgot to say something or I forgot to point something out uh-huh. and you mess it up, it's on me. 
Okay. I said, but if I point it out and you miss it, like if I say, trumpets, this is B flat right here. You're going to play B flat. And, and then they, they play B natural. I mean. Then then it's all their fault. It's all their fault. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's that's an interesting approach um, as far as the, the questions go. So I, I'm a little bit different in that I always wanted my kids, as we're going through the, the, the general explanation. Oh, and let me also preface all of this by saying, I know we're talking about the current sight reading procedure and I know they're piloting a different program. And so we're not going to get into that right now. Um, I know a lot of us are really excited about that potentially being what we get, get transferred over to, but we're not going to really dive into that hardcore until that actually happens and we're all dealing with it. So this is more geared for those of us that are, you know, either younger or, you know, are a little inexperienced with how this process works. So I always wanted to do things like what you were talking about, get through the piece. So I want to count through the piece, obviously without the subdivision. I want my students fingering nose. I want a uniform seating position and horn carriage oh, yes. across each section. I want that. I want to see them doing that. Is that a requirement? No, no, that's not anywhere on the judge's sheet. But what it does show is a very disciplined ensemble when you can, can make that happen. Um, so I was like that. I would always have stop points where I'd stop and I would look at my kids and go, yes. And my expectation was for them to eyes up at me and say yes or nod their head. Right. Cool. And then we'd move on or give me a thumbs up, you know, uh, trombones, you can catch the E natural back there. Right. Thumbs up. And, and so I would have that back and forth with my students during that period of time. And then, um, and, and even as we got into the subdivision part, though, a lot of times we get into subdividing county actual rhythms. I, I checked in with them less frequently just because I wanted them zoned in, right? Sure. The other thing you can do if your students are, are moving fingers, and I, I actually see this a lot, you want to train your kids when they're fingering in class, they need to be on your baton or hand, whatever you're giving pulse with, that's where the tempo needs to be. And what happens is a lot of us have carpet in our band hall, and a lot of us go to band halls to um, do the sight reading process in its uh, tile floor. And so as they're going through, it starts to speed up, right? And the kids are in a hurry. They're like, I've got it, I've got it, and the director's here. And in many, many cases, that's where they kind of separate. And whatever's coming out of the director's mouth is not making it into the kids' ears. They're on another planet elsewhere. So whatever you do here in the instruction period, you want to make sure everybody's got an assigned responsibility. And it's not just listening to the director talk. Sure. Right? So another thing is, can kids point things out to each other? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I have I have my kids show me stuff as sure. well. They don't they don't get to talk. But, um, right, because you're, you're you know, a big mean, right, big exactly. mean head. Right, yes. yeah. I'll say, you know, trumpets, that's F sharp right there. Show me F sharp. Yeah. And then they'll hold up their trumpet with the F sharp down. Right. Or the clarinets or whoever um, that I'm pointing it out to. Right. And you want them to finger that at that moment in time and go, hey, look, right, right there. And then that's mm -hmm. also helpful, too, when you get a single accidental at the front of a measure and you get that same note again. Yes. Because you can go, hey, right there. You need to make sure. Um, you know, so so that those are the things that, you know, I, I always like to do that. I also like to, even if, if the piece was slow, I always like to go at a pretty quick pace when I'm doing the explanation. Not because I'm frantic but because I want my students to stay engaged. It's kind of like the dog and pony show thing, right? Um, I know what I need to cover in X period of time. I know what my students might struggle with, um, and I need to make sure I can hit those things. But if they're zoning out, if they're, again, staring at the ceiling tiles, um, those types of things, that is, is not only not good for um, the student and their level of uh, engagement at that moment with you, but you also have adjudicators that are watching what you're doing and they can see the kids going like this or emptying their water or, you know, doing this kind of thing. Right. Um, something else too that, that I've seen happen before, and you really have to train your kids to, to understand when the sight reading process starts, there could be, um, I don't know, chairs flying across the room. They need to be zoned into you. And so I've seen many times where there's been a, a contest helper who accidentally on the side of the room drops a folder in the middle of it, right? Or a parent forgets to silence their phone and the phone goes off. And you want them so hyper-focused into what you're doing that it doesn't matter what's going on around them. 
they're going to focus in on you. So yes. you need a, a specific approach in your instruction period to what are they doing? How are they sitting? How should they interact with you? How can you check for understanding within that period of time? Right. And, and if you don't have those things, then you literally are flipping a coin uh, in many cases. And, and, and again, a good way to, to start that process in your, in your band class and, and keep those expectations. What we do is I'll, I'll have one of the assistants um, come out and hold a clipboard. And yeah. they don't have any names on the clipboard. Right. But uh, they hold a clipboard. Well, gosh, do we have students that listen yeah. to this? Well, you just okay. gave yourself right, away. Whatever. You I guess I'll well have to write going. names down now. Yeah, you will. All right. So anyways, <laughs> the teacher the teacher will have a clipboard. Right. And um, they can make a note if they see anybody, you know, take their eyes off the music. Yes. Or, or, That's or right. anything. Look at their phone or not yeah. tap their foot. Right. Any of that stuff. Or that ask you a want question. To, or ask a question. Right. Any of the stuff that you don't want to see versus all the stuff that you do want to see, right. they can they can help you see it like while you're staring at the score. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point in terms of having, if you're able to have another person in the room, even if, let, let's say you're a one-man or one-woman show, have your administrator come down oh, and watch yes. you go through the process and, and say, okay, uh, you know, Mr. So-and-so is going to watch you guys. I'm going to be focused here, and what he's going to do is he's going to write down you know, any time where you guys are not paying attention or whatever, and and, and not in a a, uh, a disciplinary way, but more of a we're trying to make sure we're all checked in and focused here, and that way you can do your job, and he can see what it's like. Um, and we mentioned this in the last podcast. One of the things I love about our administration here is. Like we'll go to a concert and sight reading contest and Mr. Worthy, our superintendent, he comes to the contest with us. He sits out in the audience. He comes into the sight reading room with us. And I mean, and he's always so very complimentary of the kids and the way they approach that situation. Because, you know, and again, coming from different backgrounds, you come in and watch sight reading. And it's like, oh, my goodness, what is happening in here? You know, and yeah. even on the vocal side, it's different on the vocal side versus the, the instrumental side. So, um, so yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, oh, one more thing that I would I want to say on the instruction period, and, and I, I've seen this many, many times before we get into the actual performance. As the day goes on in the sight reading room, the chairs and stands tend to move closer and closer to the judge's table, right? And so the other thing is our students, especially if they're younger, they're already a little scared. They're already a little whatever. They come in and they stand, and wherever there's a chair, they sit down. And they don't adjust the stand. They don't adjust their chairs. So one of the things I would encourage all of you to do is, you know, we, we give a setup chart to the contest host and they set it up. But I always had my kids before we did anything else, you know, while I'm studying the score or whatever. And, of course, you know, part of my career was when we didn't get to study the score. It was situate yourselves exactly the same way we are at home. Where are your stand heights? Where, where is that supposed to be? And you check that before you get into the process. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but it never fails where, you know, the, there's no trumpets or no chairs in the trumpet section. And so the trumpets will go sit where there are chairs, which they've oh never goodness. sat in that area of the band before. So, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta look at those things. And, and again, it, it's a, it's a procedure. It's a process that your, your students need to be familiar with. Like nothing needs to happen in that room that they're not ready for other than they're going to see a piece of music they've never seen before. That's the only thing. Everything else needs to be exactly how you've rehearsed it. Yes. So, and that, uh, the last part of the instruction period thing that I wanted to say, uh, goes along with that. And it's, and it's making the kids comfortable, Yeah. making it, making it to where they can still breathe. And we do that on, on the UIL stage. If the, if the chairs are not where we want them to be, that's right. We'll move them. That's exactly so, right. Um, make them feel comfortable. Keep them breathing. Yeah. And I think too, it's important to understand <laughs> that, um, your, your overall performance begins when it begins. But prior to that, you're, you're exactly right. You need to get situated where you're comfortable, you know? Um, and, and even things like, Hey, this chair is shorter than my normal chair, you know, for whatever reason, ask your kid, uh, make sure they're good because sometimes those chairs look alike, but they can be two different sizes. Right. So you want to make sure if, if those smaller chairs ended up on stage, you don't want your students uncomfortable or same thing in the sight reading room. Can um, we adjust the thermostat in the, in the room as well? Um, like if they're just a little bit cold. Or I, I'm, I think you can request that. Um, 
but but I don't. I mean, I, we maybe not be that picky. I think you'd want it that cold for intonation, but but whatever, man. Okay, yeah, yeah, you do you. Okay, so let's talk. Um, let's get into the actual read. We are about to play the piece. We're playing the piece. What are we worried about? How we look when we're conducting. Yeah, it's amazing how many people wonder. <laughs> Just how great they look. I'm going to conduct the snot out That's of that right. piece, man. That's right. I am. This is the the New York Phil, and we are just going to town on this most amazing <laughs> piece of music. No, but but in all seriousness, um, you know, what are we after? You know, I think I think what we're trying to do is convey a couple of things in our conducting to our students. You know, one is obviously time. Uh, another is could be style. Another could be, uh, you know, volume, different parts, backing off here and there, those types of things. Sure. Um, but but here's the thing. What do we normally tell our kids before they read? No matter what, we want you to be what? Confident. Confident. That's right. Which translates in every low brass player's mind to, I just want to melt the building, right? Yes. So I think I think we maybe in some cases mis, misunderstand what confidence means. So to me... Confidence is not just play loud, right? If that's what you want, tell your kids to play loud. To me, confidence is looking at the part and understanding your role musically and what's going to happen. And for some of you that are thinking, well, what about seventh and eighth graders? Okay, they need to understand to the extent that they can. And the extent that they can is there is a melody. There is, you know, it could be a counter melody. There is a harmonic part. There is maybe a, you know, boom, cha-cha, boom, cha-cha thing going on. And how all of those types of parts fit together. And again, that won't happen at the read. That's going to happen prior to the read. You're going to go over all of those things so that when you're reading through the music, they know I need to yield to the moving part. If I'm, you know, playing the same note as my neighbor, I need to match energy and intensity with my neighbor. I need to make sure that I'm zoned into my listening environment side to side, front to back. And make sure that, you know, my individual role is in the same realm as everybody else. We've all seen those groups that come in and, you know, for the most part, they read really well. Maybe they got one or two heroes. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, my goodness, like just. And, and here's the other part, too. You know, we start talking about when we do the sight reading contest and we have chairs and stands. And, and let's say they do migrate towards the front of the room, right? And then let's say your hero player is right there at the edge of the table by one of, of the adjudicators. And that's a tough place to be because in your current listening environment as an adjudicator, you're like, that's really loud. That's really loud. You know, but if you were 20 feet away and backed up and had enough room, then you might not have the exact same perspective, you know? Sure. Uh, so so I, think, I think there's that. One of the things... Um, that you can also do is you're going to have, if you'll, if you'll prep your kids well, you're going to have a list of things that they might could possibly do, right? Things like take a breath in the wrong place, things like miss a key, things like whatever. If those things happen, right, then your student's objective is to simply fix it the next time it comes around, right? right. It's okay to make mistakes. Our goal is to not make any, but if we make one, we just don't want to make it a second time. That's really, really critical and, and important. Um, and then the other part of it, too, when we talked about the, the piece of music, if you as a director are you know, doing chord analysis as you're going and you're like, whoa, that's not going to sound good, tell your kids, hey, right here, this is going to sound crunchy and, and nasty, and that's okay. Again, you didn't write it. I didn't write it. We just got to play it, <laughs> right? Um, where there are moments where – the style changes or the tempo changes, you know, when we're, we're talking about fermatas, those are all the things that you need to show them in that general instruction and in that um, summary explanation. You need to show them how you're going to do that. Unless you feel like your group is just super solid and they're right with you and they're going to go exactly with what you do. I always wanted to show them, not only because I wanted them to know, but I wanted to hold myself to doing it the same way, right? Because we right. as musicians, we like to go, mm, conducting, I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to look amazing. Well, I think I'll just use this gesture and expect them to know what it means, even though they've never seen me do that before, right? right. And, and so being able to 
you know, let them know what certain things mean. So, you know, maybe if it's bouncy, you know, you're a little bit lighter with your gestures. Maybe if it's lyrical, you know, you're beating time in one hand and you're kind of drawing a curve with the other over the phrase, you know, anything, any type of information you can give them. And then the other part of it is you want them up at you, down to the music, up at you, down to the music. There's got to be some connection there. Um, and, and those types of things. And, and like, if there's a, a balance problem or volume issue, if the hand goes out or whatever signal you use to, you know, bring your group down, bring it up or bring a section down, bring a section up. What's really nice to see is students respond to that in the moment on the piece that they've never played before. Because now automatically we know these kids know how to read. Yeah. They know how to do this. And they also know how to interact with our conductor. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so that's it. And then, um, when we get to the end of the piece, right? Oh, I'm sorry. One more thing. While we're reading, if we make a mistake, our kids, and this is especially important for our younger kids, they can't make funny faces. Like if they just make an error, they have to just, I mean, it has to be the best error they've ever made. They cannot react. They cannot go, oh my goodness, what was that? You know? Right. That happens sometimes at the end of a piece with our younger kids where, you know, the band finishes off and snares still going cha, 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 cha. Yes. And if that happens, okay, they, they just need to act like they meant for it to happen because everybody in the room knows it was in the wrong place. I mean, it's, it's not, Oh my God. I mean, you may think that way, but you know, as a performer, when we do live performances, even on things we prepared, things are going to happen that don't normally happen. And we just have to deal with it. You know, we can't be like, Oh, this is terrible and take our trumpet and smash it on the stage and jump up and down. I mean, yeah. And I mean, it's still, it's still a performance. Right. So, I mean, the judges are seeing you. So if, if you finish the piece and there's a mistake or, or something happened and your kids know it and the judges see it on their face that like, oh, that was the worst performance we've ever yep. had, then the judges might have been thinking like, hey, that wasn't that bad. That was pretty good. And then they right. see your kids go, oh, that was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Right. And then they go two or three, <laughs> you know. And so, yeah. so, you know, prepare your kids for the no applause that's going to happen yeah. after you finish as well. You well, know? and just the, the whole, you know, uh, doing things with purpose, being uh, intentional with the way they carry themselves. And again, even the younger kids can learn how to do that, but you have to teach them. Right. You have to show them how to do that. So um, anything else on the read that you can think of just the actual playing of the music? Uh, not really. Oh, I, mean, I just, I, I would, I, I'm thinking about queuing entrances a lot of the time. I Definitely. know you talked about transitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and anytime I get to a transition, that's a key, yes. um, a key change. I will, um, I'll stop in yep. the explanation and I'll make them finger through the scale or show me the problem notes in that key. Right. You know, and I've communicated whatever three or four keys you have to read in. Yes. Um, and what problem notes are in each key. And then the kids know all of those answers so that they can show me, Hey, that's this fingering for this key. Right. Um, but and you have them show you that because, you know, if somebody's got the wrong button down, then you can see it and right. go, mm, nope, that's not it. It's this. Right. And right. it's, and it's just something to like keep them focused and, and for the students to know right. that I expect you to be engaged in this 100%. Yeah. But, um, one, one quick thing yeah. at the end of the read, mm-hmm. um, or sorry, at the end of the instruction period, and I forgot yes. to mention this. Um, if I'm done with the piece and we got to the very end and we're like, Oh, we got to hit this one spot, you know, at the end and, and you know, you only have like 10 seconds left. Yes. I always remind them of the very beginning of the piece before we start playing it because that's great because if the key changed Mm -hmm. and we just spent the last two minutes of the summary explanation Mm -hmm. playing an f that's right and they're going to start it in b flat yes it's going to be especially for our younger bands that's going to be an issue so yeah it definitely will be and and so i think that's good too one other thing since you you took us back to prior to the read one of the things i want to mention with regard to warm-up and what we're supposed to do with that. So I'm going to read this to you guys. This is right out of the rules. So warm up and tuning. This is uh, section five. Immediately following the instruction period and prior to the performance, if the conductor chooses to do a warm up, the sight reading music will be turned face down. So you have to tell your kids to turn the music down. We all know that. Each performing group may then play or sing a brief warm up consisting of one of the following. And it only gives you three options. A, long tones. B, a whole note scale, or C, eight measures of a warm-up corral. So technically speaking, for any of you that are going in just like playing a bunch of eighth notes, 
and try to check articulation in your warm up. Technically speaking, that's not within the actual guidelines and what they're asking you to do. So, you know, and most of the time, the, you know, executive secretaries are the guys that are over those uh, decisions. Most of the time, you know, they'll, they'll cut you some slack if that happens, but you need to understand that if you do that, if you do like eighth notes, Remington or something like that, and it's not legitimate long tones or a whole note scale or eight measures of a warm up corral, then they can look at you and go, you are in violation, right? Mm. And one of the other things too, that's so funny, you know, a lot of us will tell our kids, if you do this, you're going to be disqualified. If you breathe incorrectly, you're going to be disqualified. And we know that's not actually the case. And we tell them that, you know, sometimes because we're just afraid of them not being able to behave appropriately in the moment. But the reality is you need to just look at them and go, listen, guys, you are a young musician, young musicians. This is how they behave. Okay, you don't come in here and act a fool. And and if for some reason you're struggling with getting your kids to to be able to act correctly, maybe a UIL endeavor's not for you right off the bat. Maybe you need to do some in-house things. Maybe you need to do some festivals where they can really learn how to do those things cuz a lot of our kids have not done a contest yet because of COVID, right? Right. So those are things that are really important um, you know to look at when you're talking about the warm-up, the read, and all of those things. Um, what are we forgetting on the read? Is that pretty much it? Uh, I think so. Okay. Um, okay. So most common issues we hear in sight reading performance. What do you think? What are those things? Um, tone quality suffering from lack of support. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's nerves. Yep. Um, and you know, and that using that word confidence. Yes. But, um, but and really confidence is, is again, that's, that's why I made that point earlier. Confidence is being confident in your ability to play the music and listen and be a part of the ensemble. Yes. Playing loud is just playing the part where everybody can hear it. That's different. Those are two different things. Um, and so I think if you will allow your kids to dive a little bit deeper into the meaning of confidence, it might pay dividends in terms of the band sound later on. Right. And, and, and you need to build their confidence again, like what we talked about with going up from like a level one or, right, or by, a beginner by, band book or something like that. We're going to build confidence by not allowing them to ask questions. Right. <laughs> right, right. 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 For right. sure. <laughs> now, if, if, if you build their confidence and you get all of those sections playing something by themselves and, and having a feature moment, whether it's just in rehearsal or whether it's something on a concert. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, years past, I think this was the first time I ever went to UIL. Um, <laughs> we, we improved our scores on, on stage for yeah. our school. We ended up getting uh, first divisions on stage. And then when we go into the sight reading room, I mean, we had practiced the snot out of the process. I mean, it was yes. every day we were doing this and it was, it was going really well. Yep. And, um, we got in the sight reading room and the melody in the middle of the piece was two of my weaker sections. And so, you know, they come in on that transition moment and frack the first two notes. Nice. And then it was, it was over, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we made it through it and everything, but they ended up getting a second vision because, you know, that whole middle section suffered. And yeah. And so, so you, and as a, you mentioned that a second ago, like every section needs to be able to own a part of the piece. You're not going to build that two weeks before you read. Right. Right. So um, even non-varsity bands, like those kids can do it too. You just have to explain to them this is a level of expectation and you have to get them to the point where they're confident enough to play uh, in the correct, you know, role in the ensemble. Um, you know, and, and so I and I'm not saying don't tell your kids to play confidently because I think that's important. Um, but but here's the thing. I can't tell you the number of bands that I've said where the director has said, OK, we're going to play this confidently and just this section of the band does not sound the way that it's supposed to sound. It yeah. is so overbearing to the point where, you know, the, the music's not what it's supposed to be. And yeah. so, okay, yes, they read their part and they read it very loudly. However, they were covering up the main melody, which was happening over here. Yes. Or low brass guys, right? And, and I'll make fun of myself. Like, we're notorious for having a really easy sight reading part and just murdering it, you know? <laughs> and, like, there will be uh, the flutes and clarinets will have the melodic line and the tubas, euphoniums, and trombones will just be destroying this accompaniment part and it just messes with the way the piece is supposed to sound. So you may have played all the right rhythms, may have played all the right notes. 
you didn't play right balance and blend. It wasn't musical. You're not going to walk out of there the way that you want to walk out of there. Right. right. You know, and tone, you mentioned tone quality and sound. Um, it takes air. It takes air to do that. Your percussion kids, your percussion kids also need to be engaged with you yeah. and, and you like say hi to them or something <laughs> in the explanation period. Right. Well, no. Yeah. You, you need to like, if they have questions, I'm sorry, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I think, <laughs> I think you need to answer their questions. Right. But, but again, rhythmically, musically, where are those kids and can they play within the ensemble sound? Do they understand what that is supposed to look like? Because again, you tell a snare, uh, you know, percussionist playing snare play confidently. Okay, you got it, you know, and, and, and meanwhile, you know, you're sitting at the, at the adjudicator table and you're looking back at the snare playing and the beat of the drumstick is literally, you know, Behind 20 ears. inches yeah. off of the drum head. Right, exactly. And, and so those are, those are again, and, and I know some of this seems like pretty simple things, but, but I've, I've seen it over and over and over and over again. And these are little things that you can do to just make sure you don't have those concerns, right? Really where you want to be is I've taught my kids, I've given them the best tools and techniques possible to be able to survive and perform well in the sight reading environment. And then if there's an error or if it doesn't, doesn't, you know, pop for you, doesn't work out for you. Okay. Then let's evaluate what happened. Why didn't we get that? Let's read the judges sheets. Let's make it a learning moment, educational moment. In a real true sight reading environment, we would not be going through that process. So I do think it's important to be careful about how much weight you put into the success or lack of success of that component. Now, if you're going in and making fours and fives, obviously that's a different story, right? But if you're teaching your kids how to read, they can subdivide. They know how to complete a phrase. They know how to attack. They know how to release. Like we talked about that, you know, the other day. I think those are the things that, you know, if you make those errors, those are the things that the people listening are really going to appreciate. You sure. know, and, and I don't think anybody's sitting there at the judge's table going, I'm expecting perfection, you know. All right. And, and especially when you get to the point where you're listening to the same piece like 20 times in a row, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, okay, by the time you get to that 10th group, you start to develop um, where if there's going to be an issue, you start to develop an awareness for where that's going to be. And, you know, and then you've got groups that are successful with it or not successful with it and those types of things. Um, so I think from a just a, a let's call it a holistic approach, I don't think um, going at sight reading from a let's try to learn and perfect the UIL sight reading process is the right way to do this. We need to teach our kids how to read. And so when we have opportunities in this music to make music, let, then let, let's do that. You know, and, it, and that's yeah. little things like, um, you know, you do play with confidence, but also with some nuance and understanding of where you fit in the sound. Um, you also complete phrases. People don't breathe on bar lines like your kids know that that's not a thing. Unless you've told them to do four bar phrases, you push all the way to the end, you take your breath and you move right on. Again, with the same level of air and intensity. Um, Where there's a volume change, it's got to be relative to the other dynamics that you've played in the piece. Um, You know, and, and the thing about that is once you've started, if you're starting at mezzo forte, what you've started, if that's not a nice full round band sound, you're really setting yourself up for issues in the piano section of whatever piece you're playing because your kids are going to back off because that's what they know they're supposed to do. Now we've got intonation issues. We've got breath support issues. We've got all those different things. And then what really starts to make students uncomfortable is when the music not only sounds wonky, but it's thin. Like it's written really thin and the people that are supposed to be playing it are not playing it. And so they're like, what what are we doing? You know? So it, it is one of those things where the sight reading process to me is where the individual musicians in your group, that is where it's so critical where, I mean, there's no hiding, you know, there's no hiding the individual musician if they're all playing. Um, whereas, you know, if you're on stage and you may have, uh, you know, a section where maybe you've cut it down because it's just too much. You don't get to go in the sight reading room and go, okay, you kids, you stand over there and don't play. That's not a thing. So then the individual musicianship of your individual students, even, you know, the, the student that struggles the most, his level of ability and comprehension and understanding 
plays a huge role in the overall success of the ensemble. Yes. So, and if you don't know where all of your students are in the in the understanding of of reading music, um, I had an older band director, um, really awesome band director, come up and tell me one time that um, when he had started um, some program in in um, in Texas, they made it a point to listen to every kid in the program sight read. It's a great idea. Once a week. Yep. And and it was just like every kid had a five minute appointment, and they would come in and show them a piece of music. They look at it, and then they'd sight read, and he could he could tell like okay, well this kid's having trouble counting quarter notes. Right. Or this kid this kid can already count sixteenth notes. Man, this kid can read. Right. Um. So you know, you, it, it's it's sometimes, um, hard to tell. Uh, when you're playing the same three pieces over and over again, That's or right. you're just playing out of a beginner book where everybody has the same line, who can actually be a um, a reader by themselves? That's right, an independent reader. And, yeah. and and then the other thing too is, as we've talked about, when you do find out those students that are struggling, then you have a decision to make: Do I pull that kid in separately, or do we go ahead and remediate across the band? Which, as we know, makes the kids want to just burn the building down. Right. You know, um, but that's why it's so critical early on we teach them correct fundamentals subdivision air support breath support so that that's not a question you get a dotted quarter eighth note then there's no question they know exactly how that's supposed to play even if the dotted quarter eighth falls in a different place than on a downbeat right they know it's three pulses three half you know or three uh halves of the beat and so that's something that you know we we as directors, we go through all of the fundamental teaching and then the kids play as a group for a large part of the time. And then we know we have our kids that are weaker students in terms of their performance ability. But how many times do we pull them in and go, hey, let's let's work on this really quickly. Let me give you just a hint. And I'll tell you one more is sometimes your older kids are able to assist those other kids that are struggling. Yeah, because number one, they're cooler than we are, right? Right. Yeah, most certainly, um, and they might be able to say, "Well, hey, here's what worked for me," you know. Yeah. But but again, I think you know to to kind of wrap everything up, I think there's got to be an approach um, that starts prior to a couple of weeks before contest. Oh, I yeah. think this is something you work on because again, you're not trying to build the best UIL sight reading band in the world. You're trying to build the best sight reading musician. And, and if you take that approach, then you're going to be in a much better place and much more relaxed when you come into the actual sight reading room. Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, I always, I always felt like I was winning if I finished my explanation right as they said time. I was like, yes, <laughs> I am that good. Um, and, and I've got another director friend uh, that, that is exactly the same way. It's like, you know, that's always a fun feeling, you know. Yeah. Um, only he says, that's how good I am. Like, he actually <laughs> says it to his kids. It's pretty funny. Um, so, anyway, what else, Jason? We got anything else on this topic? No, man. All right, cool. So just like anything else we've talked about, if you guys have questions um, that we can help you with, or if there's anything we didn't cover in terms of the sight reading process, I mean, there's so many different, you know, tricks and ways to handle things. And, and I will say this too, um, I'm getting one more, one more thought and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. Um, one of the best places to be as a younger director is to go sit in a UIL contest oh, yeah. sight reading room and watch. And you have to be careful because if you're reading some of those same pieces, you can't be in there unless you've already gone to contest. You need to get right. permission from the executive secretary and all that. But but go sit in and watch those guys. And you learn so much, so many different techniques doing that as opposed to, you know, trying to do sight reading with your college band who those kids already, for the most part, know how to read. I'd, I'd also encourage you along the same lines, you need to, you need to read all the rules. Yeah, reading so, the rules is important. I mean – you know, sometimes what we see is not always, yes. you know, like what we talked about. That's know, right. Not everybody knows all the rules. I, my first time going into sight reading, I was surprised when I went in there, pleasantly surprised, <laughs> but, um, watching, um, the older director that I worked with mm -hmm. in years previous, um, he had always told me, Hey, you get four minutes and you get three minutes. Yes. And so that's what we practiced for the whole minutes. year. Yes. And then I go in there and the, the guy goes, so, um, how do you want your five and three? Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, no, 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 we get four and three. He said, no, you get five and three. <laughs> right. And that mu- so. must have been a great aha moment right before you stepped up on the podium, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's what's so, you know, I know the, the guys at UIL, you know, they, they have a tremendous responsibility when it comes to trying to, you know, throw out, here's the rules for what we're doing. Because we as music educators are natural born error detectors and we're just going to look for something that's not correct or not wrong or not right, you know? And so they, they have a tremendous job, but, but, you know, I think you do yourself a favor, like you said, if you read the rules and you understand what you're supposed to do. So let's wrap it up. Uh, like I said, if, if you guys have any questions, if there's anything we can do to help you out, uh, please reach out to us, be more than happy to chat and visit, um, you know, or shoot us a message. We'd be happy to answer any questions that you have, you know, feel free to share the podcast as well. It looks like all our episodes total, we're on the sixth episode right now. And I think our numbers are sitting at, we've had about little over 600 plays over the course of the five episodes that we've had. So, and that's great. We're very excited. Those of you that, you know, continue to listen to us, but if you feel like this would be helpful to any of your younger staff, student teachers, et cetera, please, please share the information. Um, and even if they want to reach out to us personally, we're not too good to talk to anybody. Okay. Um, so happy to help if we can be, uh, of help. So Jason have a great performance tonight. Thank you. I hope it goes really well. And I conduct the snot. Out of I that. know you are. I can't wait. I can't wait. And everybody else, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and have a great weekend. <laughs>